The scripture reading for today is taken from the epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Philippians. And you'll be able to read that, you'll be able to find that on page 1348 of your pew Bible. 1348. And we'll be reading together from Philippians chapter 1, the verses 1 to 8, paying special attention to the verses 3 to 8. Now, if you remember from last Sunday, if, if you were here then, how the church in Philippi began as such a small church, just a small group of believers, some women who gathered together and they came down to the riverside to pray. And then the apostle Paul, together with Silas, Timothy, and Luke, came to them there and they shared the gospel with them, this missionary team. They shared the gospel with them and the Lord opened their hearts. And now 10 years later, we have this epistle to the Philippians where it's a church that's grown, a church that's now established with bishops and deacons, people who look after them. And it's to them now, this young but flourishing church, that the Apostle Paul and Timothy write. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making request for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Just as it is right for me to think of you this way because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. So far, the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, have you ever heard some news that just made you happy? Or maybe it was a person who you thought back to that just made you smile every time that you thought about that person. What came up in your heart when these things rose up in your mind? Was it a prayer of response, a prayer of thanksgiving? Praise God. For the Apostle Paul, this was the way that he thought about the Philippians. Last week we spoke a little of the opening words of his letter and we saw how his willingness to introduce himself as a servant rather than apostle, among other things, also highlighted the relationship that he had with them, his regard with them and their regard for him, instead of emphasizing his position as an apostle. This becomes all the more clear with these opening words of his passage. He just can't help himself. He's so full of joy whenever he thinks of them. And that joy overflows into prayer. I thank my God on every remembrance of you, he says. Every time that I think of you, I thank my God. He just can't help himself. 
The word for thank here is a Greek word that's often used in relation to prayer. So it's saying here that he gives thanks to God in prayer every time. Always in every prayer of mine, making request, which is to say praying again, making request or praying for you with all joy. It just overflows from inside of him and it's directed towards God. This is such an appropriate response for the Christian in life. Praise God. On hearing good news on a medical result, praise God. On hearing of those or thinking of those whom we love, praise God. On seeing God's work in the life of another, especially those who are close to us, praise God. It's just so appropriate. The Apostle Paul himself leaves absolutely no doubt for his readers as to the source of his joy. Because God is the source of his joy. He's the reason for it. Everything was done by him. And so he joyfully thanks God for it. And he wants the Philippians as well to share in that joy. And so we'll look at this today, how he's calling them to share in that joy under the following theme and points. I know in whom my hope is founded. He began a good work and he'll bring it to completion. So what's this grounded in, this, this joy of the Apostle Paul and of Timothy, who co-wrote this letter with him? Well, to begin with, their joy is found in the fruit of God's work in them. And there's no question as to the fact that he sees it as God's work. In our church theme for this year, you may remember Jesus saying in John 15 that I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. And for Paul, he's definitely seen that at work in the Philippian church. They have borne fruit. Brothers and sisters, every time that you bear fruit, it's evidence that God is at work in you. And that's a big deal. God is in you. He's working through you. When you're working for the sake of Christ and for his church, it's all God who's the reason for that. Isn't that an amazing thought? So what specifically stands out here for the Apostle Paul? Well, I thank God, he writes in verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. From the very first, when they were no more than this handful of women who were meeting at the river to pray, they had been joined in fellowship with the gospel. The gospel had gripped their hearts. We read in Acts 16, verse 14, how the Lord had opened the heart of Lydia. And the gospel continued to grip their hearts as Paul and his team of missionaries lived among them. And even beyond, as Paul carried on leaving behind Luke in their company. God had pressed it on their hearts to not only rejoice in the gospel that they had here, the gospel that they had received, 
but they were so full of joy at having received the gospel and seeing its transforming work and hearing the good news of the Messiah that they also wanted to help in sharing that news with those who were around. And so they helped in supporting Paul as he continued in his travels through finances, through prayer, and through love. Now, Philippi, as you remember, was a Roman colony in the province of Macedonia. And in chapter 4, verse 15 of this letter, Paul tells his congregation, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, so he's saying when I left from being with all of you and I I went out from there, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica, which was another church, another city within the same province, even in Thessalonica when I went there, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Acts chapter 17 and 18 tell us that Paul went on from Macedonia to Athens where he stayed only briefly and then after that he traveled about 50 miles southwest to Corinth. And there in Corinth he stayed for about a year continuing to preach and to teach and to train the young congregation there. During his time in Corinth, Paul was supported in his work by this little congregation in Philippi. In his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, the verses 8 to 9, he writes to the Corinthians, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. So here, once again, even when he's 50 miles south of there in in Corinth and he's in need he doesn't have to concern himself with that because what happens these people from the church in Philippi they send a gift along to be able to support Paul in his work Paul as you may know had a tent making ministry for much of the time that he was at work he went from place to place and he would support himself in his preaching of the gospel by working with tents on the side. But he always expressed a great appreciation for those times when he wasn't bound to that, when he could fully preach the gospel, spend his time connecting with people and sharing the gospel with them full time because of the gifts and the support that he received. Now, This isn't to say that their actions in themselves earned anything. Their actions earned nothing in the way of salvation. But what makes Paul so joyful is that their actions showed, as Paul says later in this letter, the letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verse 13, their actions showed that it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. That is something that the Apostle Paul finds so important that he wants to drive at home. Not just here in, in the passage we're looking at today, but also in chapter 2, verse 13, and elsewhere. It's, it's woven into the fabric of this letter. 
This is something that's so important for us in Owen Sound to grasp as well. That when we're working for the Lord, when we're working in his kingdom for the good of his people, whether it be in directly supporting other people and in training them or in sharing the gospel with people. And I'm also thinking of you parents and teachers in this, in your tasks. Whether it be in all of these areas, raising up people to know the gospel and to know God and to love God, that we can see it's God's work from start to finish. And that's something to celebrate. That's something to rejoice in. Paul drives home the truth of that statement in verse 6, where he says, I'm being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's God who has begun this. Their heart and their passion for the gospel, it's God who has placed this in them. The good work that he's talking about here in this letter, as he describes in all his letters, is, is a change, it's a transformation. A transformation of magnificent proportions that's happened within them. That God has worked within them. They would have no interest in repentance. They would have no interest in the further spread of the gospel. They would have no interest in kingdom living. They would have no interest in eagerly seeking ways in which they could continue to submit to God if it wasn't for the work of God himself in their hearts. And it's the same for you and for me today, beloved. Consider what God has begun to work in your hearts. A good work. A transformation. A work in which you are convicted by your sin. In which you turn to God in repentance. In which you seek transformation which is worked in you by the Holy Spirit. Your earnest desire to live with Christ and to see it as the best way to live. You're having an eternal mindset instead of one that's just focused on this world and not just for yourself, but for your spouse, for your children, for your neighbor. And your desire to see the gospel spread. These are all things that God works in the heart of his people. And if God has begun working it in their hearts and in your hearts, he's God. He's got a track record. He who began this good work of transforming is faithful, and he will bring it to completion. And this brings us to our second point. He'll bring it to completion. God's willingness, not just his ability, but his willingness to work in us to bring this work to completion is so important for us to reflect on as well, beloved. There can be times when we fall short. 
times when we fall short as individuals, times when we fall short as families, times when we fall short as a congregation. And humanly speaking, there can be times when we are this close to giving up on ourselves, to giving up on our families, to giving up on our congregation. And maybe we even have begun to give up on ourselves. Maybe there's a place in our lives personally where we've begun to give the devil a foothold. For the Philippians, they could see little bits of this themselves in their lives. Yes, things had begun well, and it was a beautiful thing there in Acts chapter 16 when it says, down there by the riverside, as they were meeting and as they were praying and as the Apostle Paul was sharing the gospel with them, that God himself opened the heart of Lydia and that this spreads to the rest of the congregation, that small congregation there. It's a beautiful thing to see. But as it didn't always continue that way. As things progressed in their church life, progressed among them as a congregation, there was division. Two Christian women in particular who had been very helpful and supportive, both of them, of the Apostle Paul and his team, of their work there. Those who had been good Christian witnesses named Yodia and Syntyche, they were at loggerheads. And apparently this division that they had wasn't even something that was critical to the gospel. You can see this by the fact that the Apostle Paul, he doesn't rebuke one of them for holding to false teachings. He doesn't rebuke one of them particularly for a, a sin that is outstanding in their lives. He doesn't take sides. But instead, he praises them as those who have labored faithfully with him in the gospel and he encourages them towards unity. That happens later on in this letter. But the thing is that this, this division that was going on this division that was happening within the church was causing stress in the church. And people were beginning to wonder, is this really God at work here? Has God maybe left us? We started off so good, and now look at where we are. What's happened here? And that's the way it is for many of us as well, isn't it? That things can arrive, arise in life. Conflicts, maybe even sins. There can be times as a young person, for example, when we're discovering our independence and our faith is in the process of becoming our own instead of just something that we, that we live in, something that's been passed down to us by our parents. It's something that's becoming our own. And we have questions questions about ourselves, questions about our faith. And we ask ourselves, is God still with me? Will God continue with me even through and after all this? And that's something that's not just limited to us as, as young people, 
but it's something that happens throughout our lives as we grow older and older and something comes up and we ask ourselves, is God still with me? How can you be sure? You can be sure because you know this. Pay careful attention here. You can be sure because you know this. Because you confess that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. I don't know how the things that I've done are going to affect the future. I don't know how the questions I have are going to be answered. I don't know how this conflict that I'm in is going to unfold. But at the end of the day, not knowing doesn't matter because I know who is in control. You may have heard this popular locker room quote. It's something that's, that's uh, burst out on social media, and you can see it everywhere these days. I've, I've seen lots of people posting it in all kinds of different places, and this is a, a quote that says, trust the process. You see it everywhere. People who are going to uh, counseling, people who are going uh, into a, a football game, and they've been trained with particular handoffs and uh, particular plays that they're supposed to do, people who are going into all kinds of different areas, trust the process. Trust that the structure that you're in is going to unfold in a way that will bring success. It's going to work out. Trust the process. But God says to you today, don't Trust the process. Trust the Lord of the process. How can I be so sure of the future? If we don't even know what tomorrow will bring, how can I possibly live with any kind of confidence? I trust the Lord of the process. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. That's what the Apostle Paul is getting at here when he says, he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. He's calling on them to trust in God's faithfulness, in God's constancy. For you who believe, he's given you a new status in your relationship with him. Not as part of the world, Not as just one more person who is out there in the world, but as his own son or daughter. He's not going to abandon that. He's given you, in the second place, new life in him. Now there are certain things that show us that we still have this old man rising up inside of us. Our old natures, our sinful natures, and we can struggle with that. But we put that to death. We turn away from that because he's given us new life in him. God's given us Christ to pay for our sin. He's given the spirit inside of you that causes you to hate that sin. 
He's given you a new status. He's given you new life in him. And he's also given you a new community to live in. A community to lean on. A community to serve. A community to support you in your hour of need. And a community to delight in even when there can be times of friction like they had here with Yodia and Syntyche. Consider with me for a moment Romans 8 verse 32. Let's, let's take a quick look at that. Romans 8 verse 32 in light of all of this. He's given you a new status. He's given you new life in him. He's given you a new community to live in. And then on page 1301, Romans 8 verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God has already given up his son for you who put your faith in him. Do you think that having given up what was most precious to him, he would turn his back on you after that? God has already given you so much more than you could ask or imagine. God is the one who upholds the future. Nothing takes him by surprise. In fact, God is even the one who guides the future. He is willing. He is able So just as Paul called the Philippians to take this to heart, so also, brothers and sisters, see that you take this to heart today, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. It's right for me to think this way, not just in a personal way, but about you, Paul writes next. Because I love you. That's what it means for him to have them in his heart. He's saying, It's right for me to think this way about you because I love you. What does that have to do with anything? Well, the reason for me loving you, Paul says to them, the reason for me loving you is your love for God, shown in your constant love and support for me as I go out to share the gospel. Not just when I was able to preach the message either, Anyone can throw a few bucks into an, offering for a, into an offering bag for a missionary, right? So not just when I was able to preach the message, the Apostle Paul says, but also now, when I'm in prison, I constantly feel your love and your support for me, the encouragement that you send with those that you send to me, and the gifts that you bring to me to support me, even when I can't do anything. The Apostle Paul, he wasn't a higher level prisoner. He wouldn't have been given the run of his house and maybe even the run of the town at the time of the writing of this letter. Like Peter in Acts 12 or 6, he would have spent his time in the writing of this letter chained to his prison guards. And yet even in a place that it seemed like he wouldn't be able to act like a missionary and preach the gospel, they didn't give up on him. They didn't move on to someone else, but for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the love that they had for him as 
someone who shared the gospel as well, who had shared the gospel with them. They continued to support him even in his imprisonment. They loved him for the sake of the gospel. They loved him for the sake of Christ. And he loves them for it. Just consider the earnestness and the genuineness of his love as in this oath that he swears before God in verse 8. He says, For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Not just with his own affection, but with this sacrificial love that Christ has given them. He loves them for it because he knows that it is the gospel that drove them and the gospel that continues to drive them in the way that they live, even through this time of difficulty. And beloved, for many of you today, the same is true as well. You love and you support the work of God and the people of God because you love the gospel. You love Christ. You raise up your children in the fear of his name because you love the gospel and because you love Christ. When you're working and you're giving money into the offering bag to support those who are in need in our congregation here, or maybe to situations that are outside of our congregation that our deacons regularly support, you do it and you offer that up because you love the gospel and because you love Christ. When you support missionaries who are on the far side of the world, even as far away as in Papua New Guinea, you do it because you love the gospel and because you love Christ. When you create opportunities for other people to carry out their work and you do it so self-sacrificially, for others, when you support people in their hour of need, you do it because you love the gospel and because you love Christ. Continue in this. This is God who is at work in you, and this is a reason for joy. This is a reason for celebration. This God who has begun a good work in you, who continues a good work in you, will bring it to completion. Give thanks every time that you think of it, just as the Apostle Paul did. If this is not yet you, however, don't be discouraged. Pray earnestly that God would work this love for the saints and for his kingdom work in you. Pray that he would do this for the sake of Christ. Don't fear, but instead, take to heart these words from Psalm 56, verse three. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. And if you pray in faith, you rest in his promises. When you are afraid, you put your trust in him. He'll answer for the sake of Christ. He'll answer. And he will grow your love for Christ. He will work in your heart 
as you face these personal barriers and struggles in faith. And he will fill you with the same confidence in due time that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion if you turn to him. He has a track record. He is faithful, he is willing, and he is able. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Amen.